gracious God, we want to be blessed. We want to be in your word and delight in you. So we ask now that you would calm our hearts and steady our minds. And let the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. In this we pray. Amen. Okay, I have practiced all week long trying to nail down this Joan Rivers raspy New York accent so I could ask, <laughs> just like she would, this question. And I just couldn't get it right. So you're going to have to excuse my Texas tongue as I say, can we talk? <laughs> Actually, I didn't want to offend any of you New Yorkers trying to get that one. So, so I'm thinking, can we talk? Here in Houston, there's been a lot of talking going on. We started this week off talking about a lot of interesting things as we w gave witness to an openly out lesbian with her hand on the Bible right here in one of the largest cities of the U.S. being inaugurated as a mayor. Yes. Sure got people talking about some things. And, and you know, as the, as the cameras were rolling and they were capturing a lot of the festivities, it became clear. Houston, I kept thinking, Houston. But it became clear as they were showing this and celebrating it. Yes, Houston. And he says, yes, this is the greatest city. We celebrate. It's part of our heartbeat here in Houston to celebrate and embrace diversity. So it makes sense right here in Houston. So we're talking about some things. Well, I have a question for you. Are we ready to talk about our faith? Can we talk openly about our faith? You know, there's a word for that. If you're out there talking openly about your faith, you're an evangelist. You want that word? <laughs> you want to be known as an evangelist? Would you amen? <laughs> I'm glad there's one out there. It may, that word makes me shudder just a bit when I hear it. Uh, you know, I think evangelists, you know, someone out there who's talking about the good news of God's unconditional love, the incredible, liberating gospel of Jesus Christ, an evangelist. But yet, when I hear it, I shudder. Why? Because there's a lot of wackos out there on TV <laughs> saying a lot of outrageous and incredible things in the name of God and religion. And I don't want to be one of them. I don't want to even be in that ballpark. So, so yeah, it's a little intimidating. So really, the word evangelism makes me feel one or two things. Either I feel extremely guilty because I'm not out there talking about the grandest love affair of all time, sharing people what I have, which this truth of God's liberating love, or I can rationalize it away because really, I don't want to be one of those wackos. It's pretty intrusive, and it's not really politically correct to talk about spirituality or religion, right? And so I find myself just kind of rationalizing away, and I think, you know, I'll just be the best person I can be, the best Christian I can be, and maybe that's good enough. I'm like, and come on, we got the best church around, we're right here, we're centrally located, you can see us from the road, we got, <laughs> you know, we got great music, pretty decent preaching, <laughs> We give away blue coffee mugs to those that just happen to find their way here. <laughs> Evangelism. There is um, a pastor out there, Martha Grease Ray. She did uh, a four-year study 
on evangelism. She calls it the Mainline Evangelism Project. Took her four years to do this. She interviewed thousands and thousands of churches and denominations, hundreds and hundreds of individuals, pastors, lay people, adults, children. She's trying to get her hands around evangelism and, and really just trying to understand what it motivates, who's doing it well, what motivates people to do it, and that sort of thing. And she come across some pretty sobering statistics. This E-word evangelism, it really is the thing that most pastors and members of congregations said is the most difficult thing to do. It's become right next to sex and money, that which must not be named in our churches. <laughs> so, so she did come up to some pretty sobering statistics. Our um, is it intimidating to talk about your faith? Yes. Are churches, mainline churches, declining? Yes. Is America becoming a less religious country, and are there less and less people coming to know this liberating love of God? Yes and yes. Pretty intimidating. And how are churches doing about communicating this love of God? Pretty badly. But there was one statistic and one set of hope that I found in this, and I found it pretty powerful. The hope is this. She found that the heart of true evangelism is simply having a vivid relationship with God, being a part of a church you love, and then caring about individuals who have yet to experience the depths of God's love. That is the heart of evangelism. There was another pretty interesting statistic that I found in this book. It's in this study. It's 65 to 80 percent of the fastest growing congregations are predominantly racial ethnic blends. You hearing that? Churches that have as its core value inclusivity are getting it right. It seems like the spirit is up to something. And I got news for you. MCC, Resurrection Metropolitan Community Church, was founded on the core value of inclusivity. We dare to take this on. We embrace it. it is, it's in our church DNA. The Holy Spirit breathed life into Troy Perry many years ago and right here in Houston, Texas, breathed life into us and said, go and be and tell people of the unconditional love of God. It's who we are. It is our core value. If you look at that Psalm 107 again, it should be our mantra. It says, oh, thank God. God is so good. God's love never runs out. All you set free by God, tell the world. Tell how God freed you from oppression and then rounded you up from all over the place, from the four winds and the seven seas. Some of you wandered for years in the desert, looking but not finding a good place to live. Half starved, parched with thirst, staggering and stumbling on the brink of exhaustion, and then in your desperation, you called out to God, and you got, God got you out in the nick of time and put your feet on a wonderful road and took you to an incredible place to live. So thank God for the marvelous love, for the miracle mercy to be beloved children of God. Is that incredible? All evangelism was ever meant to be, being in love with God, having a place, a church that you love to be at, and caring enough about people who have not experienced the depths of God's love. Evangelism. Well, so if we get that, and we understand it's kind of part of who we're called, and I think maybe we're being called to talk about it, not just live it here on Sunday, what would that look like? What would that look like if we could reclaim that word 
evangelist. Claim, reclaim the word Christian for that matter. Well, in the chapter 8 of Acts, our second scripture reading today, we kind of get, I think, a model, a great model of evangelism and an evangelist. Philip there. Now, the book of Acts comes right after the four Gospels. In the four Gospels, we learn of the birth and lineage of Jesus. We learn about his life, his radical, inclusive ways, and, and we learn about his, uh, his death and his resurrection. And from these Gospels, we understand Jesus saying, we've really made this pretty complicated. It's pretty simple. He broke through all the religious and social norms of his day and said, it's pretty simple. Love God love each other, and learn to love yourself. Well, Acts is the chapter right after that where we're introduced to this new understanding that we're all beloved children of God. It's meant to be inclusive, and we're meant to engage in this relationship with God. Acts is the chapter where the very first disciples of Jesus, they were known to be the apostles, tried to carry that message into the world and spread this great news. And that's where we find Acts. And so it's a pretty interesting uh, book all on its own because it talks about how the church was formed, how they began to do this work, what were some of the challenges they had. It's a very inc incredible book. And Philip is one of these evangelists. Now let me tell you a little bit about Philip. We pick up in chapter 8, but we learn in chapter 6 that Philip was not called to be an evangelist. Philip was commissioned to be a deacon. So what that means is very early on, the church really came to the understanding that these, this, these apostles who were out there spreading and preaching and teaching wasn't able to handle all the other things that go on in a church. They weren't able to handle, make sure people were prayed for and cared for and, and looked after and distribute food to the poor and, and to take care of each other, right? And so they really quickly commissioned seven individuals to be these deacons. Now, Philip's, uh, Philip's role, he was the food pantry worker. He was commissioned to distribute food to the widows and those in need and serve tables. That was his role. Well, Jerusalem quickly, I mean, it was like, it, it, it was like the desert and the dry parched and, you know, when fire hits it and, and all this great news was circulating. And so the persecution started and there were soldiers going door to door and knocking and dragging out men and women and, and taking them off to jail. And so Philip got out just kind of in the nick of time as many did and Philip took off. And where did he go? He went to Samaria. So clearly, Philip is one after Jesus' own heart because he went to where no other respecting Jew would have gone. He went, and, he, and, and he's running from the law, so it's not like, like, like he's going to wait tables. Instead, what did he do? He started talking about this incredible love of God, this inclusive love in a parched land where they were on the brink of exhaustion, thirsty, and he must have talked about this Jesus, this man of, that fell like from heaven to feed till we thirst, feed and hunger no more. So Philip was there. And you know what? He became a pretty good <laughs> evangelist, a preacher. He was like a Billy Graham of his day. I mean, he, he got there and thousands were coming into the understanding. And he was baptizing women and men all over. He was pretty good at this work. I like how there's, I was reading some uh, sermons out there in different readings, and I came across this reading from Anna Carter Florence. She's a Presbyterian minister who teaches at Columbia, and she says, you know, because after he's done this thing, here comes the angel of the Lord, right, to send Philip on this new journey. This is what she says. It was a major coup for Christians. This was their first big missionary success, and I bet Philip the deacon couldn't wait for his next preaching assignment. 
I'll bet the deacon was pumped when he saw that the angel of the Lord was coming, bearing a message that he could just imagine. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to continue to north to the biggest urban challenge yet, the city of Caesarea. But you know what that angel said? The wilderness road. Jerusalem to Gaza, desert, high noon, be there. <laughs> she says, I bet Philip was so stunned he could have knocked them over. And of course, he's a nice guy, so I doubt he argued much, except perhaps to politely ask if there had been some mistake. Haven't you seen all the great work I'd done in Samaria? Don't you think I could have really contributed more to a place that actually had people on it, the villages or towns or someone to listen? But no, the angel was firm, the wilderness road, Jerusalem to Gaza, desert, high noon, be there. Isn't that just like the Holy Spirit to throw you a curveball? You're out there and you're doing your thing and all of a sudden you get called to do another thing and you're doing that thing pretty good. <laughs> and the angel of the Lord comes and you think, oh, I must have been noticed. And you're thinking, you're, and you're thinking you got it, man. And that angel says, oh, psst, I need you to, to go and to this desert road, you know, from Jerusalem to Gaza, the road that you think Samaria had the forgotten. That road there, not many people travel it. So can you just go to that road there? Well, Philip, listen to the promptings of the Spirit, goes off to this desert road, and lo and behold, does encounter someone, an Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot down this road. Now, you, gotta, you just got to picture this for a minute. <laughs> When, this is how you know God's involved, right? When God takes you from the 99 to serve the one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the spirit's involved. An African gender-bending individual in a chariot in the desert at noon reading from the prophet Isaiah. <laughs> Only God could dream this up, right? Uh, yeah, the spirit was right there involved. Philip knew it. Follow the promptings of the Spirit and start walking next to that chariot and ask the question, do you understand what you're reading? And the reply from the eunuch, this one who had probably tried to go to Jerusalem to worship and had been rejected from the church, turned and said, how can I unless someone shows me how can I when you won't let me in your churches? How can I when you're too afraid to sit next to me and have a conversation? And so Philip, the evangelist, climbed up in the chariot and had a conversation. And he showed him Jesus. That's what we're told. I wonder what that conversation looked like. They're reading from the scrolls, reading from the good book. I wonder, they were in Isaiah, but I wonder if the eunuch said, um, excuse me, can we just go back here to Deuteronomy 21? Because it says here, and I think this may be why the church rejects me, it says the eunuch shall not have a place in the congregation of the family of God. Can you tell me about that? Scripture seems clear, this gender-bending person by accident or choice or royal decree, we don't know. He might have had a question about that. And I don't know how Philip may have responded. What we know is they were in Isaiah. So I'm hopeful. I'm just hopeful that maybe he just turned to Isaiah 56 and read this. The days will come 
when the eunuch will no longer say, I am just a dry stick. The days will come when the eunuch who loves me and my house and my covenant shall have a name written in my house and my covenant and shall be better than a thousand sons or daughters and be remembered forever. It must have somewhere in that conversation showed him that those very scriptures he was reading from Isaiah were Jesus who had no descendants was loved by God. What we do know is we may not know all the details of their conversation, but we know he showed them Jesus. And how do we know? Because they were in the desert and this eunuch looked up and saw water. <laughs> you get that? <laughs> That's what happens when you're thirsty and hungry to know that you're a loved person of God and you're in the desert and you look up and see water because somebody had a conversation with you. It may have just been the modeling of sitting that seat next to him and letting him ask his questions. Maybe even being honest, I'm not sure the answers. But I know that God's love has changed my life. And I know you're a beloved child of God. Their conversation had to go a little bit like that. And so there in that desert, two people, two people learned and must have truly understood what they were reading because when the eunuch says, what would prevent me from being baptized? That Philip knew it was time to quit preaching and wade in the water. And there they were, singing and dancing in the water. What a beautiful day. That day, two people sitting in a chariot understood that God's love never separates us. from. We can't be separated from God's love. That maybe God is bigger than we ever imagined. Two people having a conversation. You got to love this stuff. And I, th <laughs> and I think that we are being called. I think we're being called to have these conversations. Inclusivity is at the heart of who God is. And if you read these stories in the, in the book of Acts, you'll see that every time that the church was being stretched to go beyond the walls of its comfort zones, the Holy Spirit arrived, created a couple of facts that you could, had to just know God was involved, and just by following the promptings of the Spirit, the message was out. God's liberating love. There are so many in our community thirsty, hungry, wanting to talk about meaning of their life, destiny, their souls, their purpose. They want to talk about this God thing, and they need some conversation partners. But there's plenty of those religious wackos out there <laughs> talking from them TV screens and saying all these outrageous things in the name of God and religion. And there's plenty of us honest people who love God, who love coming here to worship. But the problem is we're so afraid of sounding like those wackos or maybe not having all the answers to the questions that we're not out there having the conversations. We're not out there having the conversations. It reminds me of this quote from Edmund Burke. All the forces of evil need to win this world is for enough good people to do nothing. The longer we stay silent, the louder those voices sound, don't they? I want to share a clip with you from Brothers and Sisters. Now, if you're a Brothers and Sisters fan, it's not, the, you know, don't get your hopes all up. It's not the one with the hot Frenchman swimming laps in the pool. <laughs> While all the gay and straight walkers look on and drool on. No, it's, uh, <laughs> we've got some Brothers and Sister fans out there. Uh, if, for those that are not familiar with Brothers and Sisters, it centers on an upper-class walker family that lives in L.A., Brothers and sisters is like that awkward family reunion where everyone is airing out their dirty laundry at the dinner table. They don't need a Joan Rivers to tell them, can we talk, because they're talking all the time. And they are navigating their lives 
through divorce, infidelity, addiction, war, politics, and prejudice and death. They're talking about it. And this clip I want to show you is about Justin Walker. Justin is the youngest of the Walkers. He's a recovering addict who has returned from serving in Iraq as an army medic. Now, he's gained some excellent experience in, in medical, medical crisis, but he's um, fluffed off much of his life, and so he's not got a lot of the book knowledge, okay? So, uh, and he's been paired up with his 17-year-old lab partner because he does decide he wants to be this doctor, and his uh, good name, Walker, got him into the program, but his Walker's name's not going to get him through the program, so he is struggling. He is trying to get through this thing. It looks bigger than he is, but he's paired up with this 17-year-old who is brilliant, Great book knowledge, not a lot of street sense. Great pair. But in the middle of all this, his sister, Kitty Walker, is diagnosed with cancer. And so he becomes overwhelmed. He really wants to make a difference. He really wants to do something. And so before he knows that he's out there, you know, volunteering in the cancer ward and doing all these other things. So I just want you to listen to the advice of his professor in the middle of this. Look, sir, I, I know that going for an internship right now may not be the best idea. Has someone in your family been diagnosed with cancer? Yeah, um, my sister Kitty. It's lymphoma, uh, stage three. How did, how did you know that Because she... I've seen this before. Uh, sudden academic fire, newfound interest in oncology. I'm sorry. You know, I, I, that's, I'm, I just want to help somehow. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, many of the greatest advances in medicine in every branch of science has been made by people who have very personal motives. Then, then why is going for an internship a bad idea? Justin, right? because there is a right way and a wrong way to go about things. Taking on so much in your first year and then, God forbid, you fail? How does that help anybody? Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I, I get it. And now, <clears throat> about Carter. He, uh, he wants a new lab partner. Well, he is brilliant. So he tells me. But he's so afraid of failure that he can't think straight. Yeah, well, me too. But you have more practical life experience than any student I've had in years, and he's had less life than anyone I've ever met. So what, you, you want me to get him laid? <laughs> no, Mr. Walker, I want you to <laughs> teach him by example how to get along with people in the real world. Yeah, I, yeah, I can, I can do that. Good. And look, someday you may become an extraordinary oncologist, able to help people like your sister. But every journey starts with the first step. And in this case, the first step is the hand. Start with the hand. <laughs> okay, Resurrection, we do have a lot of practical understanding. We get this thing. We get it at a level, at a deep, deep level. But we can be overwhelmed. It does, this mission of demonstrating God's unconditional love to the world, it is a big thing. It's a big task. But there are people literally dying to know the love of God out there. So how do we do this? How do we get this job done? Well, we have to start somewhere. It's a journey, like the professor said, it's a journey. So let's start somewhere. And so what I would like to propose is for us to take a spiritual journey together. For us to begin to have these conversations with each other, grounded in prayer, grounded in study, conversation. So I am proposing that we are about to come up on the season of Lent. It's the first Sunday of Lent is February 21st. And this woman I told you about, Martha Grace Reese, she wrote a book. 
And the first part of the book is just six simple chapters. The back part of the book is 40 days of prayer. So what I'm proposing is that during the season of Lent, which is 40 days, about six weeks, that we would go on a journey together and that we would commit to one another to pray every day during Lent. And that we would also take time to have conversations with one another. Everybody in here, everybody in here, to be in a small group experience, just reading a chapter a week and meeting with a few people and just having a conversation. And then attending worship all throughout those six weeks of Lent so that we can worship together and continue to reflect on these thoughts and ideas. So I'm asking us to do three simple things. Pray for 40 days. Read six chapters and get in a small group and reflect on these chapters. And then worship all six weeks during Lent together. We've got to start somewhere. And I'm thinking we could start with a heart. And the title of this is appropriately called Unbinding Your Heart. And the only way we can really do this is some now, sometime between now and February 21st, if you would, and today included, if you would go into the gathering place and write your name down and say, yes, I will participate in a small group. We can start getting a head count, order enough books so that everybody can buy a book and, and go through this together. And then maybe we can make a difference in our community. Maybe we can help the dry and parched land feel the awe-inspiring love of God in their lives. Will you commit to do that with me? Can you imagine, can you imagine what the Spirit could do if everybody in here and everybody that continues to come between now and Lent takes this on? You think seeing water in the desert, having a conversation with the Ethiopian eunuch would be wild? I just can't imagine where the Holy Spirit would send us. The question I have for you is asked, how can I? If someone doesn't show me, how wide is wide and how deep is deep? Where would the Holy Spirit call us to go? And this is what I know. I can tell you the Holy Spirit will push us and prod us until we get it like Philip. Until one day when every human being feels welcome in the all-embracing heart of God. Amen. a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Come on, sing it out with me this morning. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will not forget. I will not forget your love for me and yet my heart forever is wondering and Jesus be my guide and hold me to your side and I will love you to the end to my feet and light unto 
my path. Now let's lift up our voices and say that again. Thy word and thy my feet and the light unto my path. I'd like to invite all of the ones that went through new members class to come forward at this time and let's give them a big round of applause. Y'all line up right there. Come on, don't stop clapping. <laughs> Clap them all the way in. That's good, that's good. Woo, woo.